0: Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see y'all. My name is Eric. If you're new, I'm the uh, campus pastor, a location pastor here at this particular location. And if you're new, listen, we're we're glad that you're here. This is NBC Arlington, and our church is McLean Bible Church. And we're one church, but we meet in um, five different locations. And so uh, you got uh, Prince William, um, that location. You got Loudoun, Montgomery County, Tyson's, and then you have Arlington. And so all of those locations are doing, we're all McLean Bible Church, and we're all doing exactly what we're doing here, right? So every location is singing um, songs, hymns, and spiritual songs to each other when their hearts to God. And, and right now, we're going to open up God's word and to hear that word preached. And, and typically, the way that we do that is typically we preach it um, over um, simulcast. So that's one way we unite the five locations. We, we have one shared pulpit. Uh, but over the course of this series that we're about to preach, uh, we're going to do that locally. So over the next six weeks, uh, myself and Pastor Joe, uh, we're going to be delivering uh, these sermons, and we are incredibly excited about that. And we're also excited about the series, because uh, the series is titled, if you noticed up top, it, 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 it's titled, A Psalm for Everything. Guys, so the psalms are incredible, and I really hope that you grow to love them Um, and as well as um, all of the scriptures. And so uh, if you got a Bible with you, um, go ahead and turn to the very first one. Uh, We're going to be in Psalm 1 this morning. Psalm 1. And so I'm going to read this thing. I'm going to read the Word of God, and then we're going to pray, and then we're going to dive right into it. So uh, Psalm chapter 1. Uh, Let's get it. It says, Blessed is the man who, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, Nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. But are like shaft that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the ways of the righteous, or the way of the righteous. But the way of the wicked will perish. And this is the word of our uh, living God. Let's take a moment to pray together this morning. Let's pray. And Father, we took a moment just to step back and think about our lives. And for those of us who are in you, who trust and believe in your son, Jesus, for our salvation, if we just thought about what you rescued us from, we would surely believe the words of the song that we just sang. We could truly sing of your love forever. When I think about my life and I think about the path that I was on, the story that I adopted uh, for myself was the wrong one. And yet you picked me up, you turned me around, And you saved me. And God, so many people in this room can say the same thing. So Father, as we come to your word today, I pray that we'll be a people who are formed and shaped by your words to us. God, help us to listen to your word. Help us to respond today in faith and obedience, saying that whatever you say to us today, we're going to do it. We love you, God. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. If you agree, say amen, amen. Hey, guys, listen, there's uh, nothing like a uh, well-told story. Uh, you, you know this. A well-told story will have you so wrapped in it that you feel like somebody else's story is your story, right? Like your emotions are caught up in it. You're, you're wondering what you would do. Like, like you, you, you're wrapped up in it. A well-told story will have you believing that that story is your story. We all know this, but I'm going to give you uh, uh, an example. Here's the thing. When kids watch a good story... They want to be the main character of the story, right? So I'll give you an example of that. So uh, if you ask one of my kids, I ain't gonna tell you which one, but if you ask one of my kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? You know what he would say? Without irony, he would say, I want to be Black Panther when I grow up. Like, like, like that, that's what he would say. He hasn't even seen the real story. He saw a cartoon with Black Panther in it, and now I can't convince him otherwise, right? So now my living room is Wakanda right? That brother would backflip, somersault, off the couch, land in a superhero pose, like, my living room isn't in Arlington anymore. It, it, it's in Wakanda. And here's the thing as well. He doesn't take pictures like he used to. That brother, see, like, as a kid, like, when they tell you to take photos, what do you do? You tell the kid to say she's. My kid don't do that no more. What does he do? He throws up the X, and he says Wakanda forever, <laughs> right? Like, like, like that, that, that's, that, that's what he does, right? And not only that, now, not only that, he sees everything through the lens of Black Panther. So here's the thing. Everybody, for him now, for him now, everybody is somebody that needs saving, right? And so my wife, she'll be in the kitchen. She'll be cooking dinner. And my son will steam rising from the pot. And he'll say, danger, my mom needs saving, right? Why? Because he's Black Panther. And I've tried to convince him otherwise. Like, I've tried to be the good parent and you may not say this is a good parent deal, but I've tried to be the parent that kind of crushes dreams. I, I, I tried to tell him, hey, bro, like, listen, son, it's not possible for you to be Black Panther. Black Panther isn't real. Some of y'all are looking at me and saying, that's like telling a kid. I, I, I won't say it because we might have kids in the room. But, um, <laughs> and so I'm trying to tell him Black Panther isn't real. Like, he, 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 he doesn't buy it, right? Or I try to tell him, look, bro, like, you are not from Wakanda. You are from Arlington. Those are two different places. Two totally different places. Like, they don't got avocado toast in Wakanda, right? Like, that's not the case. But listen, he does not care. Why? Because a well-told story has gripped him. His thoughts, his actions, his sense of belonging even has been captured by a particular story that he's adopted. And here's the thing. You're laughing at my kid right now, but let me tell you this morning. Here's the thing. That's all of us. That's all of us. All of us have adopted a well-told story as our own. Listen, well-told stories give us a vision of human flourishing. All well-told stories give us a vision for what will make you happy, a vision of the good life, right? And since we all want to be happy, since we all want the good life, since we all want the blessed life, we are gripped by stories that claim to lead us to happiness. And what we do is we adopt those stories as our own. And these stories end up controlling our thoughts, our actions, or even our, even our sense of belonging. Let me explain. We've all adopted a story that we believe will get us to the happily ever after. So maybe earlier on, here's the thing, we, we, we admired a person who was successful at their work and how it made them money and how people began to admire of them. And then we adopted their story as our own. We adopted the story that declared that happiness comes from having a successful career. Or or maybe when we were younger, we saw the story in the rom-coms, or we saw the the, the beautiful family with the beautiful kids, and then we adopted the story that happiness is had by having a beautiful family of my own. I don't know your story this morning. Maybe your story is different. I'm not even saying these things are bad things, but let me ask you a question this morning, and I want you to sit in this. Here's the question. How certain are you that the story that you have adopted as your story will lead you to happiness? How certain are you that the story that you have adopted as your own will lead you to the happiness? How confident are you that it will produce happiness in you? See, this is where Psalm comes in. Psalm 1, the psalmist is declaring um, how to get the good life, how, how to be happy. And we receive this happiness by adopting the right story. And so we're going to answer two questions this morning. We're going to answer these questions. Which story do we adopt? And then how do we make that story ours? Which story do we adopt, and how do we make that story ours? And so uh, let's tackle the first question. Which story should I adopt? Look at verse 1. First couple of words, the scripture says, uh, blessed is the man, or that word blessed can actually be the term happy. If if you have the, uh, the Christian Standard Bible, it actually says happy is the man, right, or a woman, And then this passage goes on to describe the kind of narrative in which someone will find happiness. But before we get there, I want to stop at the first um, four words, because these are important. Because the first four words actually declare that the state of blessedness, the state of happiness, is actually possible in this life. And you may think that's not an observation worth making, but I think it is, because let me explain. I've heard it put this way. Every single one of us, unless we had a really hard childhood, we all believed when we were young that happiness is inevitable. Like, we grew up believing that, hey, listen, man, if I grow up and if I just do what I got to do, right, if I, if I just grow up and I get the grades or if I get up and I, and I pursue this path, then happiness is definitely going to happen. Happiness is right around uh, the corner. And here's the thing, the longer you live life, we realize that happiness is not as easily, as, it's, not, it's not as easy as attain. It's not easy, as easy to attain as we previously thought. Right? And maybe that's you right now. Maybe you've gotten to the point that you've given up on being happy or you lowered your sights for happiness because you've gone after it and you came out disappointed. And this psalm is good news because hear me this morning. This psalm declares that happiness and joy is actually possible in this life. This psalm declares that we have a savior in heaven. God himself actually cares about your joy and happiness. This is good news this morning. And this psalm actually describes how to go about getting it. And so the psalm gives us two stories that you can adopt and both actually claim to be the way to happiness. And this psalm tells us to reject one and accept the other. And so first it tells us which story to, it, to reject. Look at verse 1 again. It says, blessed or happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. To put it simply, the psalmist is saying, listen, if you're looking for happiness, don't go this way. The Psalmist is holding up a huge red warning sign and said, Hey, listen, if you want happiness, don't go this road, don't go down this road. What is this road? He's adopt- he's he's warning them about adopting the narratives of the wicked, the sinner, and the scoffer. He's wanting them to not think that, ad- that happiness is found in adopting their counsel and walking in their way and-, and sitting in their company. In other words, in-, in adopting their thinking, their believing, and their belonging, that narrative, that story. And he warns them, but here's the thing. Hang with me this morning. Here's my question. Why does he warn them? Here's Why? Adopting the story of the wicked and sinner and scoffer is more attractive than you think. Listen, you will be tempted to adopt the narrative, to adopt the story of the wicked, the sinner, and the scoffer. And I'll explain it to you. Here's the thing. We tend to think that the wicked and the sinner and the scoffer, that their story will be easily identifiable. I know you have watched Disney movies before. You always know when the villain comes on the screen, right? Right? Like, when you see Jafar, you, like, he ain't got to talk, right? Like, you see the way he looks. You see the look in his eye. You see the curl-up mustache. You see the evil grin. And you're like, yeah, I, I shouldn't listen to him. Or you see Scar on Lion King. Like, he looks like Mephasa, but the evil twin, right? And you're like, yeah, I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not picking up what he's throwing down, right? Like, like you, you tend to think that that's what the wicked, the evil, and the scoffer and that story is going to look like. We tend to think that the way of the wicked will be obviously evil. But here's the thing. Listen to me. The story that you'll be tempted to adopt, that you'll be tempted to adopt, will be so will be so tempting because this story will encourage you to pursue happiness. Here's the thing. Not in evil things, but in good things without reference to God. So it likely won't be the story that the good life is found in robbing the bank that that, that, that you'll take on for yourself. Maybe some of y'all, right? But but probably not most of you. It's these kind of stories that you'll be tempted to adopt. That the good life, the happy life is found in having a close group of friends who care about me. The good life is found in having kids of my own. The good life is found found in, in romance. The good life is found in climbing to the top of the ladder. The good life is found in being admired. The good life is found in treating people right. Here's the thing. We hear these stories all the time, and all of those are actually good things. However, without reference to God, they are the counsel of the wicked, the sinner, and the scoffer. Maybe I can explain this from another part of the Bible. I don't don't want you to hang with me. Go back to the very first chapter. You don't got to turn there. I'll tell it to you. But go back to the very first chapter in the Bible, Genesis, right? So many of y'all, y'all know the story. God created a world. He put Adam and Eve in it, and it was amazing. It was live, right? It was beautiful, right? God created a beautiful world for his glory. He put human beings inside of it, right? And he places them in a beautiful story to live. He creates them in his image. He tells them to go explore my beautiful and perfect creation. Be creative, right? Name animals, cultivate creation. Live in paradise, make babies, he says, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then, soon after that, the wicked, the sinning, and the scoffing one actually comes to Adam and Eve, and and what does he do? He tells them a story. He tells them that their happiness is found in the tree that God forbade. Stay with me. The serpent, the wicked, the sinner, and the, and the sinning and the scoffing one. He tells Adam and Eve a well-crafted story that claims to be the path to happiness without reference to God. Remember, the tree is a good thing. God created it. The story is attractive. However, what the serpent does is he shifts the focal point for happiness from God to God's creation. Like, like, pay attention to it. You, you can look at it in, in, in Genesis chapter 3. In the story that Satan weaves for Adam and Eve, God is no longer the source of their happiness. He's the enemy of it. And so, so, so what happens? The, so the, certain claim, the serpent claims that happiness can be found in a good thing, the tree, without reference to the good God who made the tree. And then you see in Genesis 3, 6, both Adam and Eve, they adopt that bad story. It's a well-crafted story, but it's the wrong one. And here's the thing. Let me bring it home to your neighborhood. We've been adopting the same story ever since. Ever since. We've been adopting the story that your happiness can be had without reference to God. I'm going to ask you another question this morning. Think about the story of your life right now. Think about this. What is the happily ever after in that story? Think about your story right now. Think about like what would cause you the greatest joy, the greatest happiness um, in, in your story? What would be the happily ever after in that story? And then here's my next question: Can you get to that happiness without reference to God? So I, um, I mentioned a Marvel film earlier. And so the author of the Marvel Comet, Stan Lee, he passed away in 2018. But if you watch the Marvel movies with a keen eye, you would see that Stan Lee, the author of those comics, will often insert himself in the storylines, in the movies, right? Uh, and so it, it's fun to watch those movies and try to spot him. Um, and so in The Hulk, he's like a security guard, in X-Men. He's the hot dog vendor. In Fantastic Four, he's the mailman. And then Black Panther, the first one, he's at the casino gambling at the craps table, right? And so it's crazy. Stan Lee, the author of the story, actually inserts himself into the stories of these people. But here's the thing about Stan Lee inserting himself. The superheroes in those movies don't need Stan Lee's character to accomplish their goals. Now think about it. The S-Man would have saved a day. Wakanda would have gone on forever without hot dog vendor number one and gambler and gambler number three. Right? Stan Lee did nothing to move the storyline forward. The author of the story inserts himself into those individual storylines and yet his presence is completely unnecessary to get to the happily ever after. Now let's talk about your story this morning. The omnipotent author of the universe has inserted himself into the story of humanity, your story. And can I ask you, what role does he play in your story? What role does he play? And can the story of your life, can your path to happiness occur without him? For some of us, it's that, right? For some of us, like, we're not even thinking about God right now, right? Like, he's not anywhere in the story. And I pray that today is the day of salvation. I pray that you'll be saved. I pray you'll come to the knowledge of the truth and that you understand that the presence and, like, who God is and what he's done should be the center of your story. But for some of us today, like, yeah, we claim to follow Jesus and, and we walk with him. However, in our story, God is like Stan Lee, what does he do? He's a character in the story, but he's unnecessary to move the storyline forward towards the happiness that you desire. For some of us, he's butler number two. We're just waiting on him to bring the thing that we really believe that would cause us happiness, and we just want him to get out the scene. Can I say this? If you're taking notes, write this down. Now, I say this because I love you guys. If your version of the good life can be had without God being central, that's how you know you've adopted the story of the wicked, the sinner, and the scoffer. If your version of the good life can be had without God being central, that's how you know you've adopted the story of the wicked, the sinner, and the scoffer. So, what story do we adopt? Let's look at verse 2. So I'll read verse one again. It says, blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Verse two, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Let's pause here. Because when we read it, like, I know you got some of the thoughts that I do, right? When I first read it, I'm like, yo, how do you delight in law? Well, I feel like law limits my joy. How do you delight in law? Like, how do you delight in that? Well, well let me explain. When the Bible talks about God's law, it is talking about his instruction and his commandments. We should delight in those things, but it's talking about something bigger than that. And so when you think about so so take this in mind, like when you think about the books of the law in the Old Testament, the Torah, the, the five books of the Old first five books of the Old Testament. They're called books of the law, but they include so much more than law, right? Like you got commands in there, you got instruction in there, but you also have narrative in there. You also have history in there. And so when we're talking about God's law, it includes his instruction and his commands, but it's actually a bit bigger than that. When we talk about God's law, big picture, we're talking about the revelation of who God is, right? And so it's in delighting in who God has declared himself to be, including his commandments. And so listen, hear me this morning, guys. God's revelation is his greatest act of love to us. He's made himself known through the the living reality of his word. He communicates with us. He makes himself known to us through his law, through his scriptures. And this all points to his deepest and truest word, his son, Jesus Christ. So all this says, and all I mean by this is this. Happiness is found when God's law, i.e. the revelation of who he is and what he wants, is is our foremost delight. Happiness is found when God's law is our delight. In other words, blessed is he whose story, the gravitational pull of our lives, is centered on who God is and what he wants. To be happy, listen to me. We must adopt a story where God is our greatest delight, where God is the center of the story. Why? Because there's no happiness apart from him. There's none. In this life, if you live a life without reference to God, you may have fleeting moments of momentary pleasure, but the pursuit of happiness will always feel like you're chasing the wind. Happiness is not found apart from God. C.S. Lewis said it best. He said, God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it's not there. There is no such thing. And this brings up a question. If happiness is found in adopting a story with God at the center, how do we do that? How do we make this story ours? And this Psalm helps us with that. And so I'm gonna go to the next question. How do we make this story ours, right? Now here's the thing. To understand that, we need to actually go back to verse 1. Here's the thing, y'all. I promise. We'll get through this whole song. I promise, right? Uh, So uh, when you go back to the uh, first verse, listen. um, Take you back to English class. The verbs in Hebrew in verse 1 are actually in the perfect mood. So English class, right? The perfect mood means completed action. And so when we see a line in that song where it says, like, blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked... It's not describing somebody who maybe walked with the wicked in the past and who's decided to no longer do that. It's actually, it's in a perfect mood. It's a completed action. It's describing a person who is currently not walking in the counsel of the wicked, nor have they ever. So uh, Old Testament scholar, Willen uh, van Gimmeren, right, he points this out. He says, the perfect mood of the verbs in each case um, so, so you say walks, stands, sits, right? So, so those verbs emphasizes that the godly are never involved with anything tainted with evil. Let me tell you this morning, that ain't me. That, that's not me. Because in my life, I don't know about you. Matter of fact, I do know about you because you've done the same thing, right? Like, 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 in my life, I've bought the story, of the wicked, the sinner, and the scoffer. I've lived my life in many ways without reference to God. I've tried to pursue my story, I've tried to pursue happiness outside of a reference of God. And so I know this. Psalm one ain't talking about me. And someone ain't talking about you because that's all of us. That's all of us except one, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. So here's the thing. How do we adopt the story that will lead to our happiness? This is what we need to do. We need to trust in the Psalm 1 man, Jesus Christ. We need to trust in the Psalm 1 man, Jesus Christ. Listen, he never walked in the counsel of the wicked. He never stood in the way of sinners. He never sat in the seat of mockers. He always delighted himself in the law of the Lord. And on that law, he meditated day and night. He succeeded where we all failed. I even give you a biblical example. So I told you before, Adam and Eve, they bought the lie that the story that Satan was offering, it was a good, well-told story, issue was, it didn't have reference to God. Matthew 4 is in your Bible for a reason. Matthew 4 is right after Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist, God says, this is my beloved son in whom I well please. Jesus is sent out to the desert. He's tempted for 40 days. He's fasted. Brother is hungry. And Satan comes to tempt him just like he tempts all of us, just like he tempted Adam. He tempted Jesus to adopt a story that sidelines his father. He tells Jesus, listen, you don't need um, the father to, 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 uh, to provide for your needs and desires. You don't need God to get towards the happiness that you desire. You go get it. And you know what Jesus did? He rejected the story. He delighted in the law of the Lord. He meditated on it day and night. How do we know? Because when he was tempted, what did he start? What, what did he quote? He quoted scripture. Guys, he succeeded where we failed. He rejected those well-told and yet false stories. And, and his father remained the center of his story, his father's will. He succeeded where we failed. And we'll spend more time here in a little bit, but verse 6 at the very end, it describes what we deserve for our failure. At the end of verse 6, it says that the way of the wicked will perish. So you, like me, we've adopted the way of the wicked. We deserve to perish, right? That's what we deserve. We deserve the wicked's end. And yet Jesus, the perfect one, he perished on a cross for us. Jesus, the perfect one, the Psalm 1 man who deserved the blessedness. He deserved the blessedness that Psalm 1 described. He perished on the cross, taking your place, taking the punishment that you deserve for going the way of the wicked. He died a death on the cross in our place for our sins. And guess what, though? Here's the good news. He ain't stayed dead. He rose again in power, proving that he's victorious over sin, death, and the grave. And, And I love this because this is what it means. It means that for those who would place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, for those of us who would come to him and say, God, I followed the way of the wicked. I now want to follow your way. We get credit for the blessed life of Jesus. We're forgiven. We now have a relationship uh, 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 with God. We don't deserve it. We get that because of Christ. How do we make this story ours? We first trust in Jesus Christ. If you haven't done that, I wanna invite you to do that today. If you have any questions about what that means or what that looks like, I'll be here after the service. I would love to talk to you and help you understand this. But here's the thing. When we trust Jesus as Lord, he gives us the power to now adopt his way of living. Let's look at it. Let's look at verse two and three again. It says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. It's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and all that he does, he prospers. Hear me this morning. For us to experience the kind of happiness that Jesus had, we need to live the kind of life that he lived. <laughs> and what kind of life did he live? We must adopt this way. Like, how do we do that? He invites us in this passage to meditate on his word day and night. What does it mean to meditate? Let me left you off the hook. It doesn't mean you become a monk and, and, and you, uh, you, you go off in a corner all day apart from the world and you read the Bible all day, every second of the day. That's not what that means. So in ancient Hebrew thought, meditate means to mumble to yourself. What it means is to turn the word of God over and over in your head. It means to constantly reflect on, the, on his character and commands, remembering them at key points of your day, and then receiving them wherever life finds you. Here's the thing. You may have heard of meditation in our world right now. Listen, meditation is not mindlessly emptying your mind and thinking about nothing. Meditation is actually filling your mind with God's truth so that it touches your lived experience. Meditation is filling your mind with God's truth so that it touches your lived experience. It's rehearsing the story um, as he's laid it out in the scriptures. It's like, you might be looking at me this morning and you're thinking, Eric, I got no experience with that. I don't meditate. And can I tell you this morning? You're lying. Why am I saying that? Because we all meditate. We all meditate. How do I meditate? Hang with me. We meditate within the stories that we adopt. Let me explain. If the story of your life is being successful, well, that storyline will determine what you meditate on. That's what you think about all the time, right? So you're constantly turning over in your head how you might climb the ladder. You're constantly replaying in your head conversations with gatekeepers that will help you climb the ladder. And you're constantly thinking about, man, did I put my best foot forward, right? Did I, did I show you my best self so that you'll give me what, the happiness that I want, namely to climb the ladder, right? You're constantly comparing yourself to other people who are on the sa- in the same story as you. And you can't stop thinking about how to get ahead. You know what you're doing? You're meditating. That's what you're doing. Here's the thing. I'm not, I'm not um, offering stoicism to you. I'm not saying that, you, as a Christian, that you never think about how to move up in your career. I'm not saying that you never think about other things, that you never think about um, finding a spouse, that you never think about uh, um, of the things that you want to pursue, that you never think about uh, those things, that you, that you never think about your daily bread. However, hear me this morning. If you write anything down today, it's not on the screen. I'll tell you to write this down. To live in the story that we are called to live in, it doesn't mean that you never think about things of this earth. But what it means is you begin, when you think about things of this earth, that's an opportunity for you to respond to them by meditating on the things above. You may think about things on this plane, you don't meditate on them. Colossians 3 says that we fix our eyes on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So what does that look like? So here's the thing. I know um, this congregation, we have a large single population, and among that population, everybody, everybody who's single don't necessarily want to get married, but a lot of people who are single, you do want to get married, right? But sometimes when you're single and you deeply desire of marriage, it's easy for you to think about your loneliness, all right? And that's fine. You could think about it. For the the follower of Jesus, that does not become the occasion for you to begin meditating about your loneliness. Because when you begin meditating about your loneliness, what does it do? You begin to spiral into despair. But the moment that you think about your loneliness, that's an opportunity for you to meditate on his presence. I love Hebrews 13.5. It says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. How do we live in the story? For every thought that we have on this plane, we need to have 10 thoughts looking at Jesus. I'll give you another example, man. When you think about your money right now, and every time you go to the gas tank and you think about this inflation that we're in right now, instead of meditating on, 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 on the hopelessness of that, instead of meditating on your financial security, you know what you meditate on? The security that God can offer. He is our refuge. He is our strength. He is a very present help in trouble. All right, let me keep going. Like, even when you think about your reputation, maybe you're in life right now and you're thinking, man, the person that I want to think well of me doesn't think that well of me, right? And you're concerned about your reputation in the world. You don't meditate on that. You may think about it. Don't meditate on it. You meditate on your justification that because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, that you have a God in heaven who loves you dearly. (laughs) And his opinion about you is the only one that actually matters, You meditate on that, that he justifies you. And so listen, when you meditate like this, stay with me this morning, we begin to experience the kind of happiness that Psalm 1 describes, and this happiness can meet you despite your circumstances. But so many of you, your happiness is dependent on what is happening but in this test, your happiness, yeah, it doesn't matter what state of life you're in because your situation may change, but Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so how do we adopt this story that will lead to happiness? You know what we need to do, guys? We need to meditate in the Psalm one way. Here's the thing. You'll never be able to meditate unless you're in the Word in this way. And for some of us, guys, we really need to make this a regular habit in our lives, right? There is no way you're going to be able to meditate this way and reject the stories that this world offers if you don't know the story that's in the word of God. But I'm going to also say this. I'm going to say something kind of counterintuitive as well, because you know pastors are always supposed to say, yo, get in your word, right? Um, and I know this sounds weird to say, but some of us might actually need to read the word of God less in order to meditate more. Uh, but some of us, man, we get into the word of God, it's like, yo, like we type A, right? And so we get into the word, we're like, listen, I got to read 10 chapters a day. And you walk away from reading 10 chapters and you're like, yo, I don't remember anything that I just read. Right? It might be that reading smaller portions of scripture will help you meditate, will help you get up from your quiet time, take it with you throughout the day so that you're meditating and you're rehearsing the story of God when thoughts of this earth pop up in your head so you may look at me, and I'm, I'm going to address concerns. You may look, say, Eric, yo, I've tried that before. Scripture doesn't feel delightful to me. It kind of feels dry. But let me ask you to consider the Shri metaphor in verse 3. It says, he's like a Shri planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. Remember this, trees go through seasons, and sometimes those seasons are dry. It looks like nothing is happening. My grandma had this pecan tree in her front yard, and it seemed like the moment that we were tempted to give up on that tree, it looked dry, it looked like nothing was happening. That tree began to produce pecans, or pecans, depending on where you're from, Right? And so, what that illustrates is this it illustrates our life. There are gonna be occasions where it feels like there's nothing happening in the service on the surface, but don't make that, don't allow that to make you believe that there's nothing happening beneath the surface, deep down in the roots. And so, what that means is we show up to the word of God and we're faithful even when we don't feel it. Even when we don't see what is happening in our lives, we show up in faith saying, God, here I am. And we trust that God is doing that work in us that we can't see. We show up even when it feels dry because guess what? The fruit is coming. (laughs) The fruit is coming. If you need help on how to meditate in God's word, I wanna encourage you guys to do a couple of things. Real practically, one, I would encourage you to come to our summer Bible study uh, this summer. So we're starting on August 10th. I'm here on Wednesdays, dinner's provided, childcare's provided, and uh, we're gonna take some time to talk about spiritual disciplines along with meditating on the word of God. And so um, we're gonna hit a little on this thing. Would encourage you to come tonight. And we're also gonna offer a how to study the Bible workshop later in the year and teach you how to do this a little later. Um, But for right now, as I close, the band could go in and come back up. And as we close, I know you're thinking you're about to skip over this part. No, I'm not. Uh, Look at verses four four through six. So verse 3, we see how one who delights in the law of the God, he he prospers. And then we see this in verse 4. It says, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Here's my last point. How do we adopt the story that leads to happiness? You know what we got to do? We must consider Psalm One's end. End. So I love Psalm One because Psalm One actually describes the ends of the two stories that we can adopt for happiness. If we adopt the story of the wicked, the sinner, and the scoffer, it it, it shows the end. We see it here. It says the wicked are like chaff; they aren't rooted. The wicked don't stand in the judgment, verse 5. The wicked perish, in verse 6. And the question we should ask is, why do the psalms say that? Is the psalmist gloating? Is the psalmist just getting, getting kicks out of bad things happening to people? No. Let me tell you why that's included. Because one of the things that you need to endure in life, one of the things that you need in order to endure in life is to consider the end of life, It's to consider the end of life, it's an analogy, last analogy, I know i give them a lot, but, um, so Shakespeare wrote a lot of plays, right, and most of his plays were either comedy or, or tragedy, so when you think about comedy, don't think about modern comedy, we, we think about comedy like hee-hee-ha-ha, ha. we think about humor, right, but, but when Shakespeare is talking about comedy, it's broader than that, like, categories like a feel-good genre, I, I mean, feel, a feel-good drama, right, would be categorized in, uh, in, in a comedy, right? So he wrote comedies and uh, tragedies. And in thinking about this, one of the main ways that you can tell if Shakespeare wrote a comedy or a tragedy is to consider the end of it. So when Shakespeare wrote, typically the comedy ended at the party, Right. Typically, it ended at a wedding or it ended like at a reunion or whatever. It was a good time. But the tragedy always ended in death. Right. And then then this is so interesting about Shakespeare, because it's really hard in the middle of Shakespeare's plays to tell if it's a comedy or a tragedy. And reading Shakespeare, you could be reading the play and you're confused in the middle of it about how the story is or what, the, what genre the story is until you get to the end. And the same with us. Right now, here we'll be today, you are in the middle of your story and it's easy for you to confuse comedy with tragedy. And so what Psalm 1 does is Psalm 1 shows us the end. And why does Psalm 1 do this? Because he, Psalm 1 knows, the psalmist knows, that that you're going to fire up your social media account and you're going to see people on your social media living the story that you gave up because of Jesus. You're going to see people who are living the story that you gave up because you said, I'm following Jesus, I'm not turning back, right? And if you live the Christian long enough, if you choose this story, there are going to be seasons where you suffer for being a Christian. And you're going to look up and you're going to see these people who ain't even thinking about God. They ain't even thinking about them, and they look like they're living a the good life. And you're going to be confused and you're going to think, "Hold on, hold on, hold on, God." I thought I was in the comedy. It sure doesn't look like it. And can I tell you um, David felt that way as well? I know pastors don't give homework, but I'm give you homework. I want you to go home and I want you to read and reflect on Psalm 73. Because Psalm 73, David describes when he felt this way and how he addressed that feeling. I want you to go home and I want you to read it, but I'm going to give you a preview of coming attractions. I'm going to tell you what exactly he did, but I want you to go home and read it, right? He considered the end. What kept him going and what kept him resisting the way of the, the wicked, the sinner, and the scoffer is that he considered the end. He said, I may not be able to see right now how my story is a comedy if there is a tragedy, but there's a, there a day that's coming that that's going to be apparent. And the happy life is for those who meditate on the law of the Lord. And I will, in the end, will continue in uninterrupted happiness with God forever. And so here's what I want to give you today, guys make God your greatest delight. He'll give you a happiness that your circumstances can't change now. And in the end, he'll give you internal happiness with himself. Here's the thing. Adopt this story. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, we love you. Uh, we thank you for the grace that you've given us in Christ Jesus. We thank you so much that when we're on a hell-bound race, we're living a story without reference to you. We're living a story that completely sidelined you as the source of our happiness. We're out here pursuing happiness, God, and we ain't even thinking about you. And that story is leading to verse 6. That story was leading to perishing, to being a people under your wrath in eternity. And yet the beautiful thing is that you did not leave us in that story. Thank you for sending your son Jesus who came and lived a different story. He died on a cross. He took the punishment that we deserve for adopting the wrong story. And he rose again. And by the power of your spirit, you're able to pick us up and turn us around and put us in a new narrative. Father, help us to live that way. Help us not to be a Christian who say that we're living according to your story in words only, and yet when we go out into the world, it's clear that we're living according to a different one. Father, will you help us? Will you help us to understand that happiness is only found when you are central to our lives? And help us declare this to others so that they, they might live in this story of happiness too. God, we love you pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.